I'm, uh, I was just a little overwhelmed by you guys this morning, um, and let me tell you why. Um, let's see, let me just have, we have a lot going on in our church right now, especially a lot of health issues right now, just a ton of them. Can I ask those of you who are in those families or you yourself are having some, you know, we've got a, several pretty serious health issues going on in the church. Would you stand just real quick for me? Just, yes, go ahead and stand up. Yeah, yeah Sherilyn will stay, stand in, in Clay's stead. Yeah. Anybody else? I know there's several, there's just a lot going on right now, and actually some of the folks who aren't here because they're having health issues. I wanted to encourage you this morning, and just to tell you, I've, I've, I've been taking some classes, you know, but one of the things I learned was this the last couple of weeks was that um, there is nothing more precious to God than a faith that, despite all evidence to the contrary, believes in the Lord's goodness. And your standing and singing and praising the Lord this morning, despite your circumstances, that faith that you have, that despite all evidence to the contrary, despite all of your circumstances, despite all of the things that you're viewing as a trial or a struggle um, this morning, are not punishment for you. Amen? But you believe, as I believe, that the Lord's goodness is going to come in this, through this, or despite this. Amen? And there is nothing more, more precious to God than that kind of faith. Amen? Amen? Let me just take a moment here and pray with you all. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, and, and Father, um, really, we're, we're just, we shouldn't be surprised. We're really not surprised that these bodies um, fail because they weren't created to live like this. We weren't created for a fallen world. Um, but, Father, we know that in your plan you have for us um, a plan to glorify these bodies that they, may be, that they might last forever. Um, but, Father, in the midst of us, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the, the trials that we're going through, in the midst of the illness, in the fears about the things that are unknown, uh, the fears about our future, the fears that we have about our children or our spouses, uh, the fears we have about our health and them failing, Lord God, in the midst of all of those things, Lord, we've learned to trust in your goodness because you've proven yourself to us and you've proven your goodness and your love for us over and over and over again. We are your people and we were bought by the purchase of your son. In the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen, he laid down his life, the perfect, innocent one for us guilty sinners. And so, Father, Lord, honestly, there's nothing more that you have to do to prove your love to us. There's nothing more that you have to do to prove your favor for us. And so, Father, I thank you for this precious faith that you've put in your people. That, Lord, despite the cir their circumstances, despite their bodies failing, despite the, the struggles that they're going through and the fears that they have, Lord God, to stand and sing today, the Lord be glorified. To stand and say, the name of the Lord be praised. Lord God, we, that is a precious work of your spirit in their lives, Lord God. And we just want to recognize it this morning. Uh, just your your work in them this morning, Lord. We just we just uh, pray your blessing on them. We pray that you would continue, Lord, to work in them. And Lord, we pray for your healing always first, Lord God. But we know sometimes that's not your plan. Sometimes you desire to bring strength instead of healing. Sometimes you desire to work um, in in patience in our lives instead. Sometimes you 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 desire to do a work of of dependence on us. And and uh, Lord, what what would we say except, Lord, if if you're the goal. If, if you're the prize at the end, Lord God, then so be it. So be it. Lord, we just honor you, Lord, with our lives this morning. Pray that you'd be honored in the lives of these folks and their faith in you today. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.
We are precious in His sight, are we not? Not because of what we've done or who we are, but because of the work of Jesus Christ has been imputed on us. The Lord delights in us. That's incredible to think of, isn't it? Rejoices in us. All right. I wanted to continue to talk today. We're going to continue to talk, although I'm going to talk. Oh, you know what, fellas? Thank you. Yes. Would you please pass those out? Yes. And as we're doing so, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in John for just a moment. I'm going to be, we're going to be in John chapter 4 just long enough to read through this really quickly because I want to get to the real, the real uh, part of, of what we want to talk about this morning. So in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, you guys know the story. Actually, we've got a picture of it on our back wall here. I love this story because it's Jeremiah chapter 2 lived out. But anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit. In Jeremiah chapter, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, John chapter 4, I'll get in the right book in a minute, John chapter 4, verse 7, we're going to read through this really quickly. A Samaritan woman came down to draw water. Jesus was there sitting at a well waiting while his disciples went into town to find food. Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. I guess I didn't have to say that, did I? Um, the, Samaritans, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, nor did rabbis associate with women, right? Okay, verse 10, uh, Jesus asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and we, he would have given you living water. This is, Jesus is just straight out quoting what's captured in Jeremiah chapter 2, where he talks about God being a spring of living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his son, also his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to come, keep coming down here to draw water. He told her, okay, let, let me pause there for just a moment. Jesus is talking about living water. Obviously, he's not just talking about water from the well, but he's talking about water for a reason right? He says, you're coming down here from, because you're thirsty, and if you would ask me, I would give you water, and you would never thirst again. And then we have this incredible change, this incredible uh, 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 change in the direction of the story when they're talking about water, and she's not really getting what Jesus is saying, and he's talking about water. And then Jesus is the one who brings us up, and there's this, there's this big right turn in the middle of the story, and you're kind of wondering, where in the world did this come from? But we'll talk about that. In verse 16, he says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Okay, now Jesus knows something that she doesn't know that he knows, but he knows something about her that, that she doesn't realize that he knows. Um, he knows that this woman has had five husbands and that she's not done because she's on her sixth husband, or sixth man, I should say. In verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. You can almost sense some guilt and shame in this, right? And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I, I want to I I talk to you just about that for just a moment. So here we are, Jesus is talking about water, and then all he said, he says, go and fetch your husband, knowing full well she doesn't have one, but she's had five, and is on her sixth man, and Jesus is all the time talking about water, and then all of a sudden talking about all the men in her life. What in the world is going on? Why in the world does he make this right turn and bring her uh, husband or her live-in into this at this point? Can I suggest to you this morning is what, she's say, what he's trying to teach her and trying to tell her is that you've been going to a man 
looking to be fulfilled and satisfied. And a man will never be able to do in you what you need God to do. You keep going to an, a well, and he's using this illustration for her, and he places himself. Can you imagine what, how God set this up? He places Jesus at a well to talk to a woman about her thirst. And this woman, man after man after man, is still thirsty. It's not, none of them have been able to satisfy her. None of them have been able to fulfill her. None of them have ever, have ever been able to make her feel significant. And all of these men in her life, and the one, Jesus Christ says, I'm the one you're thirsting for. If you'll drink the water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? An incredible thing about God. And I tell you, and, and well, let me just ask you, who before you came to Christ had any idea about your purpose or your significance in this life? Who of you after coming to Jesus Christ have learned your purpose and your significance in this life? Who of you have learned that being called um, um, precious and, and, and loved by God is greater than any other uh, thing that anyone else could do or say about you? Who of you have experienced this? Uh, uh, who of you have learned that I had no purpose, but now that I'm in Christ, I have a, I have a purpose much bigger than myself? Um, over and over again, we've learned this ourselves. And, and what he's saying here, I believe, to the woman at the well is that she has been thirsty, but she doesn't know what for. I think it's interesting that he doesn't say to her, stop being so thirsty, quit being so needy. He never says that, does he? He says, you bring your thirst right here to me, and I will satisfy, and I will fulfill, and you'll never thirst again. You work with people at your work who don't have Jesus Christ in your lives, and they are hungry and thirsty and ravenously hungry for significance. They, they're pulling it out of people. They're trying to be significant in whatever they do. They want people to recognize them. And you can just see there's a drive and a hunger for them to, to find something significant in their life. It's because we all have it, right? You and I have it too, but you and I have found the source of significance, the source of purpose in our lives, and we found it in the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me say before I go on, and uh, let's see. Uh, here's, here's the deal, though. In marriage in particular is what I want to talk about today is that Oftentimes in marriage, we go to our spouse and we say, make me happy. Make me secure. Make me feel secure. Make me feel significant. Give me some sort of purpose. Make me feel loved. Ladies, how about make me feel beautiful? I've never had that problem. But make me feel beautiful. Make me feel worthwhile. Make me feel accepted. And so, so many times we go to our spouses for those things. And, but here's the deal. You cannot get from your husband or wife what you need from God. But here's the deal. You'll try. You will. You try, and I try. And, and because we have kind of idolatrous hearts, you know, I've said this so many times, but in the Old Testament, we see so many times where the Israelites are struggling with idolatry, and for years, I didn't understand it. For years, I thought, I've never been tempted to carve an idol and of wood. It's never happened to me, so Lord, I must be holy here, right? No, no, no. The problem and the reason that it's all throughout the Old Testament is because people have a problem with idolatry because we want to go anywhere else but God to find significance and purpose and feelings of worthwhileness and security and to feel beautiful and accepted. We'll go anywhere but to God. In Hosea chapter 11, it's a horrible chapter. God's reflecting on His own love for Israel and, and, and his, own, his own love for them. 
but um, the Israelites keep going back to idols. And in Hosea chapter 11, verse 2, it says, the more I call to Israel, the further they went from me. So the more I do for them, the more I call them, the further they go. And in, cha- in verse 7, he says, my people are determined to turn from me. Can I suggest this isn't just a problem with the Israelites? <laughs> Can I suggest this is a problem with you and me also, that we have a tendency to turn from God and turn toward people to have those very deep needs that we have for God to meet and try to squeeze those things out of them. And then one of the books I read for one of my classes, uh, for my class, is, um, is from a, a gentleman named Jerry Bridge, a, um, a Puritan, wrote this about the uh, 1600s. said, so long as a man can find a fullness in any creature, he comes not to God. Let me read that again. And so long as a man can find fullness in any creature, he comes not to God. Wow. Is that true? Is that what we're like? Is that who we are? Is that part of our fallen human nature? Is that I would rather go anywhere but to have to go to God? I believe it is part of our human nature, fallen human nature. This is part of the indwelling sin. And let me say one more time. You will go to your spouse trying to get needs met that only God can meet. It is part of our sinful nature. We will go to anywhere but God. It's the part of that rebelliousness in our heart that is intrinsic in every fallen man and every fallen woman. The problem, of course, your spouse is a lousy God. I'm a lousy God. You are a lousy God. Yeah? There is only one. There is only one. He is the re- that's the reason why you guys are writing up here and we're reading in, in David's Psalms from a few hundred or a thousand years ago uh, that you are my rock. You are my redeemer. You, Lord, are my shelter. There's reason for that because God can be all of those things for us and no human being, no matter how great we think they are, none of them can. So I want to I encourage you um, to look to God for everything that you need and to release your husband or wife. Let me tell you, have you ever been around someone really needy? You ever been around someone who was just clinged to everyone that they were around looking for trying to get from them to to make me feel loved, make me feel accepted, make me feel important, and they just clung to people. You ever known anyone like that? They're just a bottomless pit. You know why? Because nothing can ever satisfy them because that need that they have for significance or for love or acceptance can only be fulfilled in God. And so they keep going from person to person to person, and they will dry you out and make you crazy, right? They will make you crazy. Yes, you've experienced this? Yes, I know I have. Yes, they will make you crazy because they keep going anywhere but God. But listen, to, at the same time, you and I have some of that in us. Amen? We can't, be, we can't be saying, well, yeah, those people have their problem. Thank God I don't. No, no, no. You and I have this problem too. It's just more evident in some people, and some of us are a little better at hiding it than other people. Can I suggest to you, though, um, I, I want to ask you this morning, though, in your relationship with your spouse, would you release them? Would you let them go? Would you not bring them, you know, like you got to bring them to a juicer and like just try to be cramming out of them what you need from them? Would you release them and go to God to have your needs met? Life is pretty miserable with someone who's a bottomless pit. Life is pretty miserable being a bottomless pit. The only solution that we have is to go to the one who can fulfill us. Amen? All right. Okay, um, 
And let me tell you, I, I want to just be, I want to be really practical in how the, how we do this this morning. Well, actually, Brenda, would you come up for just a second? We're, we're gonna we're gonna take like two minutes. All right. I, I warned you about this. Don't look surprised. I said maybe. Oh well, you know, maybe for me, it's like definite. Yeah. I want to talk just really quickly, babe, about our first our first years as marriage. I shouldn't do that. Okay. Our first years as marriage and um, what we've learned. Um, we talked a little bit about when we were first married and everything, life was going pretty good, and then um, we had um, some difficulty in life when we had Rebecca, and then all of a sudden, you know, I think at that point, you and I were looking for each other to, um, oh, I forgot that part, thank you, Clay, I handed her, just talk in your cup, <laughs> green mic, <laughs> but I think what happened is that for a while, it was working. You know, for a while, you could look to me for security, and I could look to you for significance. And for a while, it worked. But then we had Rebecca, and then what? And then I couldn't at any time that you guys would think. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we faked it pretty good in that um, life was easy. Life wasn't hard. I mean, bless David's heart. He worked a job that he hated to support us. Um, and Jessica and I, she doesn't remember, but it was the best time of her life. We would um, float in a swimming pool all day long with one of our friends, Julie Solomon, who was pregnant, too. We, we were just living the high life. It was great. Jessica doesn't remember it, but it was so great. You had such a good first couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. And the cute little bathing suit, it was great. And then, yeah, we had Rebecca, and we realized we didn't have any foundation um, of stability or, or anything, and um, I, yeah, I was that bottomless pit when we had Rebecca, because I had so many needs. I needed to know that she was going to be okay. I needed to know that we could do this. I needed to know that David was going to take care of us, and I needed to know that Jessica was going to be okay, and just constantly, constantly, and I kept looking at this guy who I thought I knew, wondering why he wasn't making me feel all better, and he couldn't. And can we so use our object lessons now? Sure. And so, it, you, yeah, you were looking for me to do this, but I, I, didn't, I didn't have enough. Yeah, and so it, it came to a point that I, I'm, uh, I failed to meet her expectations, and she failed to meet mine, right? But the problem was our expectations were on the wrong person. I couldn't tell her that Rebecca was going to be okay. I couldn't tell her that having a child with special needs wasn't going to affect the rest of our family. I couldn't make that all better. Um, and um, she, in the midst of all this confusion, all of this trouble, it all kind of fell apart, and for um, you know, about a day or two, whenever we were, you know, getting wise, okay, it, it took about eight years, but uh, uh, whenever we, you know, the Lord just kind of showed them, and, and I, you know, I think this is part of God's um, grace in the midst of trouble. He allowed me to come to the end of my expectations of Brenda and realize she can't be that for me. Well, that was a dark time. Why in the world would the Lord let us come to that dark of a time? Why in the world would he, would he let us face that kind of difficulty? Why in the world would he allow Brenda to realize that I, I can't fix everything? I can't assure her of security. And I was going to say, it just it made me angry, and it made me think, whoops, I've married the wrong guy because he can't meet my needs. Yeah. So I was very angry. And can I suggest this happens in every marriage, every one. Everyone, in almost every marriage, except for someone who's a really fairly mature Christian, we start to think that um, um, we'll get married and I'll save you and you can save me. Um, I'll save you and you can make me feel significant or 
uh, you'll make me feel secure, or um, from a woman's standpoint, you'll make me feel beautiful, or you'll make me feel wanted or accepted. Um, but in the end, there is only one who can do it, and he won't accept any, um, what's that word, false things, substitutes. Yes, he won't accept any substitutes in our life. But let me tell you, it makes all the difference when instead of going to your spouse saying, make me feel significant, make me feel secure, there's all the difference between that or going to God and saying, yeah, we'll feel you first, ladies first, they say, um, and going to God and Brenda saying, make me feel secure, show me that you can be my rock, show me that you can be my shelter. I did that just to make you nervous. And there's all the difference between, <laughs> that's going to be all over the floor. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Very nice. Good. I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. Yeah. She's good. All right. And just on the fly, too, just shooting from the hip. Okay, sorry. Um, and there's all the difference between that, though, and then going to God to have your needs met, and then just from a point of fullness, being able to come to your spouse and fill me up, right? And at the same time, at the same time, <laughs> at the same time in a perfect relationship, right, is that I'm going to God and I'm saying, make me feel significant. Make me feel important. Teach me about your ways. Teach me about your holiness and your love for me. And so we come to each other full instead of coming to each other empty because we've had our cups filled. Let me close like this. Thank you, babe. Sweetheart. I was supposed to say, babe. Thank you, sweetheart. That's perfect. Um, I want to close like this. I want to teach you how to use the Scriptures, and specifically the Psalms. Um, if you, would you have your Bible with you? Would you turn to Psalm chapter? You know what? I haven't given you any of the fill-in-the-blanks there, have I? I'm sorry. L let me tell you. Christian marriage is built on receiving God's unconditional love and then showing God's unconditional love to your husband or wife. And then the bottom one, you can come to your spouse empty or full. Needy or with your needs met, the very bottom line there. You can come to your spouse empty or full, needy or with your needs met. It's up to you. It really is your choice. Right? Okay, let me close like this. I want to teach you how to use the Psalms in particular. And, and in regards to this, <clears throat> particularly this idea, <clears throat> sorry, some water right here. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> I want to teach you how to use the Psalms. I don't know what's going on. <clears throat> but I, I, want you, I want to teach you real quickly how to meditate on God's Word, okay? If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to this first passage in, in Psalm chapter 16. One moment while I turn there. I just picked a random set of it, I'm sorry, it wasn't random. I just picked it in what we've been reading over this last week, and I just picked some of these out because it, 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 and it was easy. You know what I mean? This took me two minutes because God is always revealing His glory and His beauty to us that He might have our hearts, that He might turn our hearts to Him, that, that we might be more in love with Him, that He might capture and captivate us even more. Amen? Okay. All right, so Psalm chapter 16. 
meditate on him. Look at 16 verse 8. Look what David says. I have set the Lord always before me. What's that mean? That means David is always thinking, always pondering, always setting things up in his life that he's always has the Lord in mind. I have, all, I have set the Lord always before me. That's, can I suggest to you what he's suggesting here? Maybe meditation or at least part of it is that I'm always meditating on the Lord. And not just on the Lord, but about his goodness, about how he's been gracious to David, about how he's been loving toward him, about how he's been giving him, David, victory and over and over again. And then in, read with me then in verse, um, verse 11, um, find joy in his presence. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures in your right hand. I, it took me years. I was probably a Christian for, I don't know, a decade, maybe 15 years, before I realized there's supposed to be joy in this. I, I don't know. I don't know. That's probably my own sinfulness. But I didn't know. There, I thought that was just obedience was all God was after. No, he wanted my heart. He wanted me to, to find more than just obedience. He wanted me to find joy at, in knowing him. He wanted me to be glad in knowing that he was my God and that he had found me or I had found him. He wanted me to have joy in discovering him and more and more about him as he took me through different phases in this journey of my life, hills and valleys and, and worries and successes and, and failures and sin. He wanted me to find him over and over again about how glorious and wonderful he is. Amen? He wants me to find joy in that relationship. Um, so here we go. Uh, have him always before you. Meditate. Don't just read, but read to, to make it part of your heart, make it part of your life. And then in, in Psalm chapter 17, verse 7, it says this, show me the wonder of your great love. Just, just meditate on his love for you. Just, and, and listen to what he says. Listen to what the psalmist says. He's asking God. He says, show me the wonder of your great love. He's telling him, he said, Lord, you, show me the wonder of it. Show me the, the, the expanse of your love for me. He's praying. He's asking the Lord for this. Show me that I may, might see it, that I might meditate on it, that I might experience it more fully. Meditate on the love of the Lord. Ask him, show me the, the, the expanse. Show me your, the boundlessness of your great love for me. And then over in 18, chapter 19, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 19, says, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because, why? He delighted in me. Now, this is David writing, right? But by extension, by being his children, God delights in us. That just almost seems uh, um, salacious to me, but that's not the right word. But anyway, it, it just almost seems too fantastic to be, to be real. But that's the reason why I need to meditate on this more. But whenever you're reading through the Psalms in particular, Take those words, take those parts and say, Lord, show me, let me, let me meditate on this. Show me more your boundless love. Show me more, let me put you more in, in front of me that I might see more of you and that you might show me more of yourself and that I might be, you might win my heart over even more. You might captivate me by your great beauty and your great glory, amen? And just take those and just ponder on it. Ponder on it all day long. Ponder on it for days at a time. Just ask the Lord, show me more of this. Let me, let me explore this deeper. Who's, who's come to the end of knowing God's love? Anybody researched it all? Anybody kind of discovered all there is? No, there's no end to him. That's, that's part of why he's glorious is because he's infinitely loving. We'll never be able to fathom the depth of his love. 
We'll never be able to understand it all. We could explore it for the rest of our lives, and there's always more wonder just around the corner. Amen? Because He is God, and He is good, and He is, I pray, turning our hearts back to Him as He reveals more of His beauty and His glory to us. Amen? Would you stand with me? We'll pray, and we'll be dismissed.